Thank you, Father, for uh, giving us a good night rest. Uh, we heard the rain uh, last night. We appreciate uh, the watering of nature, but we also ask that you be with those that are dealing with flooding and with storm damage this morning. Um, too much of a good thing um, is not always the best. So, Father, we ask you to continue to be with us this morning as we talk about Adventist education and its role in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We want to say as a group and as friends that we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, the question is, is, is Adventist education a church imperative explanation point, or is it a church imperative question mark? And that's really um, the issue that we're going to talk about. We talked about cognitive genesis, that we are above the national average in all subjects, all grades, all sizes of schools, and all years tested. Which group of schools, large schools that are K-12 schools, or um, large elementary schools, or medium-sized schools, or small schools, one-teacher schools, scored the highest as a group? What do you think? One teacher school scored the highest as a group. And that's the group that many parents say, I'm not sending my kid, there's only one teacher, and there's no way they can have the, the better curriculum. Those kids scored higher um, as a group than anyone else. That's right. Yep, that's right. So, and, and that's part of the issue. I started to say this and didn't finish my sentence. Somebody asked a question. Um, we, we took this test, and everybody said, well, of course you do better because you get just the best kids that come to private schools. Public schools think that. You get just the best kids that come to private schools. And so those parents are motivated, and they pay for it, and so they're going to have an advantage over um, the students that from our public school. So what we did, just to, to make sure, we gave a cognitive ability test to every student, 50,000 students, so that we could say the cognitive ability of our system is here, the cognitive ability of the national test is here, we're going to control for ability. So nobody can say, you have better kids. We're going to take away that argument by controlling statistically for ability. And we still outscored um, the public system. Now, we know in the system that we don't get all of the just the smartest kids on the block. Because many parents send their kids to an Adventist school because there's only eight kids and they want more attention for their student. And so we sometimes get um, students that need uh, more personal attention in our schools. Um, but we have scored above the national average 50,000 students over four years. Our students on Cognitive Genesis say that they think that our uh, teaching is good, 89%. Um, we're the only religious system in the world which 100% of our schools are accredited. You cannot be in Adventist school and not be accredited. Um, we're the largest system in the world. The Catholics have more schools, they have more kids, but we're a system. The Catholics are not a system, they're diocesan-based. And so this diocese never talks to this diocese. And the bishop of the diocese has total control over the educational system. Even though he's not an educator, he has total control of the, he chooses the textbook, he chooses the teachers, he chooses whether or not you're accredited, he chooses the curriculum, um, et cetera, et cetera. So each bishop in the diocese is a island upon themselves. Um, and so we are a system. We're seen as technology leaders in private education. Uh, there's a, a committee called TDAC, Technology and Distance Education Committee, from the North American Division. Um, and that committee at the North American Division has written the standards for 
technology in private schools across every private school across this country. Uh, they're using our standards. They're using our best practices. They're using our um, uh, standards for technology. And that's being done across the division in Catholic, Baptist, Jewish. Um, I've been president of an international accrediting agency now for 10 years, NCPSA. And um, when I left, they, the, that Catholic, Baptist, 8,000 schools, 18 organizations, they see the Adventists as the system to emulate. And when I left, um, they hired me, but to replace my position on the board, they, Arnie Nielsen's the new VP at NAD, they voted him as the vice president and they'd never met him. they never met the man, but they said, we need an Adventist on our board. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to vote a man we've never met to be our new vice president for two years, and in two years he'll become the president of NCPSA. They think so highly of the system that they would rather have an Adventist without even knowing them. And I think that's a really strong statement. Um, and I think it's really good. I, I get some criticism because I work with the Catholic Church and I help the Catholic Church work on getting accreditation for their schools from NCPSA. I help them. They, they've had me speak at their national conventions on how they can get 30% of their kids in Adventist education. They think that's a fabulous number. They'd love to have that number. And so they've asked me to come and speak to 5,000 Catholic educators on how to get their kids in Catholic education. Um, but it's important that we interface with people from other faiths. It's really been a positive. It's been so uplifting for me as an Adventist to be able to spend time with this group. Um, I'm going to tell you a, a story that might get me in trouble, but I don't think so. That's all right, isn't it? You're all friends. You're not going to tell anybody, are you? No. Um, so this group, um, there are 12 or 14 on the executive committee, and we meet twice a year. Twice a year, we go out to dinner. Um, and one of those times, I would pay for it. And one of the times, the executive director of NCPSA would pay for it. And so um, it got to a point where people would always ask, who's paying for supper tonight? That would be the question when we went into the restaurant. And if Clay, Clay Petrie, if Clay said, I'm paying tonight, every single person except me would drink. They would have alcohol, they'd have beer, they'd have hard whiskey, whatever. And they would all drink. If I said, I'm paying, without a word being said, no one except one person drank. It was, it was out of respect for the Adventist church. Nobody said a word to them. Uh, I asked Clay, did somebody you know, tell them? And he says, no, that's just... Nobody drank, except the Jewish rabbi always had a Sam Adams. It was interesting to me that the Jewish rabbi was the only one that would drink. But um, I think it was interesting, it was, it was affirming that they cared and thought that much of the Adventist church that that night they chose not to drink, rather than the General Conference has a policy that if you have meat, alcohol, or caffeine on your bill, they don't re reimburse you. North American Vision does not have that policy. Um, I would much rather that group say to me, we're not going to drink because we respect you, than for them not to drink because I said, if you drink, I won't pay for it. There's a difference there, and I think that's an important I was with them two weeks ago, and we actually met at the North American Division headquarters for the national meeting, about 60 people we met in our, um, in our new building. They love to come. You know why they, 
They come about once every two to three years. You know why they come to the Adventist headquarters? Because they love the food. They always ask me for the exact same. They want Sam's chicken, pecan meatballs, mashed potatoes, and, and asparagus. That's what they want. And so that's what we give them every time. And they come just because they love the food and they love the people. Um, they come for the wrong reason. Well, where we meet doesn't make any difference to them. So if we meet at a hotel or we meet at our headquarters, but they love the people, they're, they're not coming for, these are Catholics and Baptists, they're not coming for any religious reasons, they're only coming for a meeting. So I, I think it's a great opportunity for us to put our best foot forward to the ecumenical world. Um, and so I was at the headquarters, and I was in the lobby, and Dan Jackson came down the stairs, and we were standing in front of the reception desk there in the lobby, and he's, where are you going? I said, to the bar. Really? I said, yeah, I'm going to the bar. And he says, tell me about it. So I did. And he says, I want you to go. Because I would go and sit with them at the bar. I wasn't paying, but I'd go and sit with them and talk with them and, and you know, drink my soda, and they would drink. I'd spend an hour with them on a social basis, and then I'd leave and let them do their thing the rest of the night. Somehow we have to, to continue as a church relate to people around us. And for me to go and sit with this group, they knew, you, you know, they knew what I believed. They knew that I wasn't going to drink and that I wasn't tempted to drink. But for me to come and sit with them for an hour meant an awful lot. I've had many of them say, you know, I, couldn't, I can't believe that you would do that. Um, knowing who you are as a Seventh-day Adventist, and know, they know I have high standards. Um, I had one of them, named Dr. Jane Nelson, who is the director of Association of Christian Teachers and Schools, ACTS, a crediting agency. And he came to me one day and he says, Larry, has the church changed its standard on meat? And I says, no. He says, what about bacon? And I says, no. He says, well, I was at a WASC evaluation. WASC is the Western Association of Schools and, and Colleges. It's a regional accrediting agency. And he was chairing um, a visit at one of the schools on the West Coast. And he said, we introduced ourselves the first night, and one of them was a superintendent of schools at an Adventist school. I went down to the um, Holiday Inn for breakfast the next morning, and this superintendent had a pile of bacon on his plate that was huge. And, um, and I sat there watching him eat this bacon. He says, what's that about? You know, why, why would one of your members eat bacon? So he's asking me. So I found out who it was. He went over to the guy and said, I thought you were an Adventist. Yeah. Well, why are you eating bacon? Uh, it's turkey bacon. He says, no, that says right up there, you know, pork bacon. He said, well, I really, I, I thought it was turkey, and so I haven't eaten any. Well, he'd eaten almost all of it. He'd watched him do it. So I saw him, next time I saw him, I called him by name and said, oh, and he said, he said to the guy, I'm going to tell Larry Blackmer. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's a friend of mine. He did. Next time I saw him, I said, what's the deal? I didn't, I didn't inhale. I didn't eat it. It wasn't me. He soon left that position as no longer superintendent. Um, people know who we are what we stand for, um, and it's important that we have a, a, good, um, a good public face. Jane Nelson, 
I gave him the book Education. I gave him the Desire of Ages. He now preaches in Assemblies of God Church at least every other Sunday out of the book Education or Desire of Ages. And he says, he says right out to the group, I'm preaching out of a Seventh-day Adventist book in front of an Assembly of God. It's a Pentecostal group. Uh, they all say, praise God. Um, but he preaches out of the book Education and the book um, Desire of Ages almost every time he preaches, which I think is a, um, a good thing. Um, 30% of our kids are in Adventist education. We need to get all of them. And we're able to create and deliver a system-wide uh, curriculum. We have the head, heart, and hands, the three parts of our education. 81% uh, of our kids say that um, we, we did a survey, cognitive genesis, I mean a value genesis survey. We've done three of them, cognitive genesis, value genesis, and physical genesis. So we, I kind of get all the genesis mixed up here. 81% um, of our kids said that the school is the thing that helped them the most develop their religious faith. We gave them a whole list of things. Um, summer camps, Bible class, your parents, your grandparents, um, uh, pathfinders, summer camps. We gave them a whole list. And out of that list, 81% said Adventist education was the most important thing. So it does make a difference um, to our children. Our membership continues to go up in the church. We're almost 1.4 million. But look what's happened over the last, um, what is it, 60, 70 years um, with our enrollment. We peaked in 1976, and we've gone down ever since. What is the highest percentage? We have only 30% of our kids. What percentage do you think we had, those of you that are new, um, what's the highest percentage of our kids we've had in our system? And that's the way... Uh, most of us remember it. 45% is the highest we've ever had in the system. We've never had more than 45% of our kids. Um, and we're growing now because, number one, we've added priest K. We've added many um, uh, international students. And we've added voucher programs in many of our Adventist schools. We're taking state money um, to help our kids get in your schools. Uh, that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing we're getting more kids in. Those kids are hearing the message. They're in Bible class. They're hearing the message. But uh, more and more strings are being attached to that money all the time. And sooner or later, we're going to have to decide whether we're going to accept the money or we're going to stand for principle. And we've already had a couple of those um, situations. Uh, we had one in Maryland just recently in which the government came in and said, you either hire, uh, hire homosexuals or you have to pay back all the money you've taken over the last five years. You have to pay it back. Uh, we went to court. We won that. Um, but that's the kind of thing that's, that's happening across the country. And I told you a couple other stories. Uh, I was sued by a local church so that personally sued and the division was sued. An Adventist church sued us because they wanted a transgender person to be the teacher in a one-teacher school. And they'd accepted this person as an elder in the church. They'd closed their school a few years ago. They wanted to reopen the school, and they wanted this person, who was a licensed Adventist teacher before the surgeries, they wanted this person to be the teacher in their school. And the division, I said, no way. You know, what to put that person, and, and this is not a judgment on that person, but to put that person with those kinds of decisions as the only adult in a room with children was not going to happen. And so the church, the local church felt so strong about it, they sued us 
they brought a lawsuit against the division to allow that to happen. Uh, it got thrown out because the local you can't sue yourself, and the local church is part of the Adventist system, and so you know <laughs> how can you sue yourself? And so the judge threw it out, and uh, and we walked away. But that's where we are today in the society we live in. So this is this is thirty percent of the children are in formal Adventist education. Um, we don't really know. We think there's about a hundred thousand. Uh, there's probably more homeschool students in the North American Division than there are kids in school. That's an estimate because, and this is not a pejorative statement, this is not a negative statement in any way, but most homeschool parents don't want to be identified. They don't want to say, I'm homeschooling my kids, can I have you know, some of your resources? They are homeschooling for philosophical reasons, and they don't want people to come and try to convince them to come into the system and so they distance themselves and it's hard for us to find them. I would love to provide resources for homeschool parents. I've been chairman of Griggs University and Griggs International Academy for 15 years and we're trying to, through Griggs, provide more and more resources. We're now converting uh, Encounter Bible. Have you heard about Encounter Bible? Encounter Bible, we're converting that to a homeschool curriculum so that homeschoolers have that, um, that ability to use it in the homeschool. Okay? So this is enrollment by grade. For those of you that are new, two things to notice. The raw numbers, this is 04, 05, 6, 5, 6, 6, 7, 7, 8. The raw numbers is going from about 5,300 to here in 12-13, you're down to about 4,200. So the raw numbers go down every year, right? And the slope of the line, we're not adding here. There are more first graders than kindergarten, more um, third graders than second graders, etc. Here, it's pretty much a flat line all the way across. So that's a concern for us. But now this add, that's K through 8. Let's now add the lines for 9 through 12. And it looks like this. Um, 9 through 12, and there's some reasons for that. Uh, the 8th graders, many of the 8th graders do not have a ninth grade in their local community to go to. And so they go to public school or another Christian school. So I can explain some of the drop but I can't explain why it goes down all the way um, every grade level drops. We've lost 246 schools in 18 years since I was at the, at the North American Division. We lost 246 schools. Um, that, that number haunts me. That's a net number. That's not a gross number. That's a net number. So if you those that we've added and those that we've lost and you subtract those two, that's the net number. Most of those, the vast majority of those are small schools. If you have a school in Onaway um, and they lose three kids, one family moves out, you lose the school. You know, half the kids leave in one family. Or one family gets upset with a teacher, um, you lose the school. That's the way it happens. So that's happened across 70% of our schools are one, two, and three teacher schools. And so when you have that many uh, one, two, and three teacher schools, um, that's going to, they're the most vulnerable. This is a chart that, let me explain. So if you take 10 to 14-year-olds, that age group, and you look at the percent of that age group in the population, all right? So this is Adventist population, this is the U.S. Census, and this is the Canadian Census. So it's the percentage <coughs> of that age group in the population, all right? Does that make sense? What do you notice from this point up. 
So we have, we have more in these age groups in the population than the national average, right? In the census. What do you notice from this point down? We have a smaller percentage of Adventists in the population than the national, um, either in Canada or in the U.S. So we have a, a little bit there, but it's, you know, one or two percentage points. Where are we getting our families from? You know, what's the age-bearing ages up here? You know, this area right in here is where we're getting most of our, our parents from, right? And we have a smaller percentage. It's worse than that. 39% of our families make less. This is, this is in North America, Adventist families. We did a survey, and we asked them to check off their economic status. 39% said they make, as a household income, less than $25,000. 30% say, which is almost 70%, make less than $50,000. And that is further complicated. If 40% are making less than $25,000, but we're charging these kinds of fees for schools, how in the world do you expect parents to pay for Adventist education? We are, we are evangelizing Where's our growth coming from? Where's the growth in the Adventist church coming from? Is it coming from the large cities and the, and the, um, the Caucasian uh, well-to-do people? It's coming from immigrants, and it's coming from Hispanics, particularly. You guys know, I mean, that's just a fact. That's nothing other than just a plain fact. That's where our growth is coming from, is from uh, immigrants and, um, and Hispanics. Do they have high, in general, do they have high incomes? So they're going to pull down the national average of how much money that we, we, um, we have. Gets worse than that. Only 26% of our families have children in the home. So we're getting our 30% out of the 26%. Does that make sense? Um, so 74% of our families don't even have kids in the home. And we know that from Monday and Tuesday's presentation, that the longer they're in Adventist education, the longer they stay in the church. The longer they're in Adventist education, the more tithe they pay. The longer they're in Adventist education, the more likely to marry an Adventist. The longer they're in the Adventist school system, the, the more they're going to be baptized, etc. We had slide after slide like that. Um, all right, so here's what we finished yesterday. Um, priority for church funding. We ask... We ask members, if you could choose where we use our tithe, where would you use that tithe? And we said, uh, these are high priority, somewhat high, somewhat important, low priority, and will not give. And you'll see that Adventist education was the highest as high, high priority. Um, and then... Disaster and Famine Relief, I even spelled that wrong, uh, Inner City Ministry and Planting Churches uh, was the lowest um, of those. Um, low priority or will not give was higher in that than, than the other one. So in general, the church membership understands that education is important. We've talked about this. <clears throat> um, we spend $25 million in Adventist education from the division. That's the highest portion, largest piece of our, our budget at the division. Um, and is, is Adventist education evangelism? <clears throat> should be. It should be. Um, when I preach, I always say, Adventist education is evangelism. Adventist education is evangelism. Adventist education... 
And the congregation starts saying, is evangelism. And so finally the whole congregation is saying it. And I always tease them because you can now see that Adventist churches do chant. Um, so uh, Adventist education is evangelism. And so should we take some evangelism money to help support Adventist education so that we have more money in the system to help our kids? No, because we spend $25 million on Adventist education and $13 million on evangelism as subsidies back to the conferences. And evangelism is first generational. Um, most of the time, Adventist education is the best way to get a second and third generation. So we have to evangelize the first generation into the church and then build that um, through that second and third generation through Adventist education. <clears throat> so we looked at we looked at tithe support for elementary education and we broke it down by age group. Alright? So we said seniors, I resemble that remark, seniors said that they would pay 10%, 10 percent of them said that um, that Adventist education was important to use tithe for Adventist education. 60% said no, we shouldn't be using tithe for that. <clears throat> Baby boomers, 16, 16, 20. So it goes up, right? The younger, do you think this group over here who have their kids in Adventist education think that they should use their tithe money to support it? That makes sense, doesn't it? The problem is, where's the tithe money coming from? The tithe money is coming from this group down here. And maybe some from this group. This group is not paying tithe, a traditional tithe, into the church as a whole. Some of them are, but many of them are using their tithe dollars for um, project-based um, issues. They're not sending it through the system. We did the same thing for academies, and you'll see the same result. Um, again, the tithe is really coming from that senior group at the bottom. Well, the seniors, if they're saying only 11% agree to use tithe for Adventist education, either elementary or secondary, um, that, that bothers me. Because Ellen White said that's what we should do. And if they understood Ellen White, that, that when that it's, it's the church's responsibility to help our kids, not just the parents. Um, just as a repeat, when I, when I preach and I do children's story, I always call one, um, one little child, usually it's the, the fussiest child I can find, and I'll call them up front and say, come up here and stand with me on the platform. And I'll put my arm around them in front of the congregation. Whose kid is this? And some parent will raise their hand. Um, you know, what, 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 what has he done this time? And I'll say, no, no, no. Whose child is this? Whose child is this? And I'll say, I want you to know this is my child. This is your child. And only when we understand that every child in the church belongs to the church, not, to, not only to the parents, and when we start acting like every child in the church belongs to each of us, will those seniors say, I want to make sure that I support um, Adventist education because those are my kids. Not just my grandkids, but those, um, I don't have any grandchildren. I don't have any grandchildren. I'm kind of holding out for a son-in-law. It's a sequential thing in my family. Um, but I have one daughter, so... Um, so it's only when we as a church understand that it's the whole church that has to be involved in, um, in Adventist education that we're going to be successful. Yeah, there is a... We actually just changed that last year at year-end meetings. Um, it used to be that you could only use 30% of tithe 
um, of the gross tithe for Adventist education, and we've raised that limit to 50%. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll use 50%, but it takes the cap off from a conference that wants to put more of their tithe into Adventist education, and they have maybe a large... Um, Maybe they have a large endowment from a number of trusts that have come in and that they need, they want to use that money for things that you can't use tithe for. They can use more of the tithe for Adventist education and use those trust funds for some of the other projects. So we've changed that because some of the conferences were coming up against that 30% um, boundary. So we're going to talk just a couple minutes. A number of years ago in, in 2014, I did a division-wide survey. Uh, we were having a meeting in Dulles uh, to talk about issues in the church, and we brought all the conference presidents, secretaries, treasurers, all the union officers, all the division officers, um, all the division departmental people together for three days um, in Dulles, at Dulles Airport. And we talked about what are the issues in the church that we in the division need to deal with. And they came up with three topics. Um, one was structure of the church. Do we need as many conferences as we have? Do we need as many unions? Can we do away with unions and only have conferences? Do we do away with conferences, only have unions? Um, do we need 13 colleges and universities? Do we need um, 118 uh, academies, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And that was one topic. Another topic was tithe distribution. Do we need the tithe to start at the local church, go all the way to the top of the system, and then come back down again? Or should the local church, they get 85% of every dollar that's raised at the local level comes back to the local church. Can they just keep that 85% and then just send up um, the other 15% to the other? So that was a topic. And the third topic was Adventist education. And so there was a task force out of that. But in that process, I did a division-wide survey, and I asked in two weeks to get the response back from 800 schools. And we got about a third back in two weeks. That's a pretty good return in, uh, for those kinds of surveys. So I, I was pleased that a third responded. And so we've used that one-third. I'm, I'm going to be transparent. We've extrapolated that one-third to the system. So if one-third of the elementary schools said this was our, our subsidy, we said, well, if that's the average over those one-third, then we're going to use that as the average over everybody. Okay, so some of these are extrapolated numbers, but if you have 33% as a base, it gives you a pretty good, um, pretty good estimate. The average school subsidies back in 2014, K-12 was getting 258000 as a subsidy. Uh, elementary, they were averaging 101,000. Day schools, 400,000. And boarding schools, 745,000. This is now closer to a million dollars, is the average subsidy for a boarding school. Yeah, so the conference subsidy. So what's the subsidy if 60% of the total subsidy of the school? Um, is coming from the conference office, and the teacher's salary is sixty thousand. So, what's sixty percent of sixty thousand? So, so that one hundred and one is that it's high because there's some three teacher schools in that. Yeah, because in our conference it's only uh, thirty-three or thirty-five percent, and and a little tiny. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question about it. Did you say that number is just the money from the conference, or does that include subsidy money coming from the local church? That's just uh, that's total subsidies. So that would be from from the, from the local church. That's total subsidies. So what I did is I asked them for their audited statement, their June audited statement from the year before. 
And so I could then do apples and apples um, and know that they weren't cooking the books a little bit. I could actually see, and I asked them for their, their budget for the current year. And you'll see here, so the cost per student. I threw out the, the outliers. There's a number of temple plans. Well, if I put zero up there, that's going to really change that scale, right? And then if I put the boarding school here, that's $40,000 per student, that would change. So I threw the outliers, those that were really outside of the, of the normal range, I threw them out just so that it didn't skew the numbers. And so we had anywhere from, in a boarding school, 18000 to 33000 and we had in day school from 10000 to 27000 etc. Um, so the cost per student, which is the total, what I did is took the total operating expenses uh, at the end of the year, divided by the number of students they closed school with, the, the last day of school, and that gives you how much they're paying per student, right? So, for a K-12 school, $11,000 per student, 8,888, uh, almost $16,000 and $24,000. That's the, the average across all boarding schools, across all K-12 schools. So, how much are we actually, if you go back to that slide, I won't, but if you go back to that slide of how much we're charging, we're charging about half or just under half of the actual cost. So I, I was preaching in a church. I won't tell you the whole story, but the end of the story is I asked the students, are you paying too much? And they said, yes, it's too expensive to go to school here. Well, let's cut your teacher salaries. No, we can't do that. Let's cut, cut out their benefits. No, we don't want to do that. Oh, well, let's have 50 degrees in the dorm instead of uh, 60. No, we can't do that. Oh, two meals a day. No, we can't do that. And eventually they said, we understand that this is what it costs to, to educate us. And they said, we get it. That seems to be a fair number. So then I said, if in that school it was the 33000 was the cost per student, and they were only paying 16000 I said, where do you think the rest of that money comes from? And they said, and I was quiet long enough, they started giving me answers, and they came up with the right answers. The church the local church, donations, etc. Do you have any idea how much on average it costs the state to educate a child? More than what we, more than our costs. No, it costs us less. Um, we're more efficient than the public school is. Um, so I said to the students, if that's where the money's coming from, do you understand that your church loves you as much, the Seventh-day Adventist church loves you as much as your parents do, they want you here. They're paying as much, if not more, for you to be in this school as your parents are. That's how much your church loves you. That's how much, that's how important you are to this church. And we need to get that message across to parents and, um, and to schools. And for churches that are paying a lot of money into their school, that's the message. The message needs to be, we love you enough that we're going to pay this amount on your behalf so that you can know Jesus in the context of the Adventist church. That's really what we need to, to that's the message we need to give um, to our parents. So, I took the budgeted income. So I looked at their financial statement, and I said, how much are you budgeting from income from the, from students. Not how much are you charging, how much are you budgeting? Because if you take that total tuition in that particular school I was just talking about, only one parent was paying the whole, whole tuition. Everybody else had a discounted tuition. I hate to be that one parent sitting there in the congregation knowing I was the only one. But that was, that's the reality. So there's no sense taking the total tuition billed as the number. Let's say this is what we're going to budget to collect. All right? 
plus I'm going to add the subsidy, the total subsidy that we talked about a minute ago, divided by the number of students, which gives you subsidy per student, right? So if you take the total budgeted income from tuition plus the cost uh, the, the subsidy per student, and you add those together, that's your income per student, right? That's your income per student. If I subtract then the cost per student, how much the cost is, so here's the subsidy the church is paying, here's the amount that the parents are paying, and you take those and subtract, then you get this net figure. And in K-12 schools, it's a positive figure, $460 a student. So they're, they're making $460 a student. Is that a lot of money? No, it's not. In elementary, for every student we enroll, we're losing $1,400 a student division-wide. In day schools, we're losing $2,939 per student. And in boarding schools, we're losing almost $3,100. For every student you enroll at the academy, the academy loses $3,100. Well, we have to get special subsidies from conferences. And that's what's happening. We're going more and more in the hole. Um, and so the conferences are saying, or donations, uh, we're raising probably, man, I, I hate to give an average number, I know schools that are raising $400,000 a year in, in philanthropy. Um, and that $400,000 a year is what helps keep that school alive. Um, you have a dentist you know, locally in a small school. You have a dentist or a doctor or an engineer. And they have taken upon themselves to be the support system for that school. When they die, when they get hit by a bus, the school dissolves. That's right. And so, you know, what I always tell schools, you cannot take and put donations into your operating budget. That has to be a separate piece because if you start budgeting for donations, you're in a, in a, a very precarious place because who knows what's going to happen. All you have to do is make that donor mad. That's all it takes, is for you to give their grandchild a C. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, real life, the grandchild gets a C and $400,000 disappears over a C that the student earned. That's the reality. Okay. Um, so we look at expenses. Um, and we're doing this per student because per student costs, it doesn't matter whether you're an elementary school or a boarding academy, if you look at the per student cost, then you can relate those two and you don't have, this has a large budget and this has a small budget, and so you can't compare them. But if you compare cost per student, then you can do that. Uh, the yellow line is the commercial payables. So across the division, at that, on that June 30 statement, make it very clear, on that audited June 30 statement, on average, element, our K-12 schools owed commercial vendors $818, and they owed the conference $1,565 on average. Elementary schools, they had about the same commercial payables, but look what they, they doubled the amount that they owed the conference office. Day schools had higher, in this particular, higher commercial payables, but lower um, conference. And boarding schools, they just owe everybody. Okay? So that's, uh, and again, I threw out, uh, I knew of one school in the, they owed the conference $3 million. Uh, that was a loan that they had for the building. 
Well, that's not fair to put that in here. Um, and I had another school that owed the conference $2 million in operating. They were $2 million behind in their operating. And that's how we lose schools. Um, we wait until the, the conference gets to the point where they're almost bankrupt, and then we say we're going to close because if we don't close the school, we're going to close the conference office. Um, so, um, how much do we spend? How much do you think we spend as a church on Adventist education? You take the total operating budget of every school and you add it up. How much do you think we spend on Adventist education? 35,000? 35, Tens of millions of dollars? The actual number is $823 million a year. That's how much we spend on Adventist education. That's an NAD. That's just in our schools. Just I, I took the total operating for what I did. I took the total operating for the average elementary school, the average K-12 school, and then multiplied it by the number of schools in that category and came up with that figure. It's an estimate. So it, it's just, you know, nobody's gone out and tried to add that up, but it's an estimate of how much we spend. And so um, this is K-12, elementary, day schools, boarding schools, and a total. So that's what it is across there. So the total expenses, 823. Parents pay about $448 million a year. And total subsidies are about $2.81 uh, $2 million a year in total subsidies that we pay to Adventist education. Yeah, what did I say? Yeah. No, no, $281 million. Uh, my, my head doesn't go that big, $281 million. It just... Uh, so... Really, that is 60% of the cost is borne by parents. 35% is borne by subsidies. Uh, subsidies. Parents and subsidies, sorry. And about 5% of the total amount comes out of donations and philanthropy, those kinds of things. Endowments. We have some schools that have endowments. We have one academy that has $7 million in the bank and a waiting list to get in. So you can't say that Adventist education is in trouble. There are pockets, there are areas that Adventist education is struggling financially. I'll tell you my personal opinion. I keep banging this mic. Um, I'll tell you my own personal opinion. My almost humble opinion, that's how I always say it. Nobody's opinion is humble, but mine's almost that way. Um, it's leadership. It all revolves around leadership. And that school's had a sustained, strong leader that has built trust in the conference office. They also live in a very um, affluent, wealthy conference. And so there's lots of money that when they trust the administrator, that money flows easily. And they have a really, really strong philanthropy program, and the, the development director is extremely good and has built very deep relationships in the conference. Um, that principal was a colleague of mine. We were friends in academy, friends in college. He's about ready. He used to be principal of this academy. I won't tell you Greg's name. Um, but he's getting ready to retire. When Greg leaves that school, I will tell you, in my almost humble opinion, Georgia Cumberland Academy is going to struggle. When I, uh, when I knew I was going to retire, I told my officers six years ago, the person that I want is the person that I want to replace me. And then I spent six years 
giving that person every opportunity to grow and to develop so that they knew what my job was. And although he was the secondary director, I would take him to college meetings and talk about colleges because when I left, I didn't want that to be a huge hole in his experience. Many times we have, we have leaders like academy principals, they're fighting for their job every year and the last thing they want to do is to say, I'm going to train this person to take my place because that's going to be next week. And they don't have enough time and energy to get from where they are. We have to, and we've actually voted this now at the division, that we're going to establish a leadership institute at the academy and that we're at the, at the division. And that we're going to begin to train leaders um, that want to be leaders. If you're a teacher and you want to be a principal, we'll pay you to go um, to the Leadership Institute. We'll pay you in the summer to go to um, the, the Harvard Business uh, Leadership Institute and take a, a two-week course at Harvard on how to be a good leader and how to mentor. We're starting a mentoring program um, in which uh, a 360 leadership model in which we are looking at, uh, at that. So we are working on leadership. Again, we are not, we are not, we are not, we are not unique. Every other system in this country, I shared with a group one day this week that the Wisconsin uh, Lutheran uh, Tom came to me uh, last Monday and said, I need 122 teachers and 88 principals. Can I take some out of your system? We're not unique. You know, I, I, I always think of Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor, when I was superintendent here, associate here, they had six students. We brought a new teacher in right out of college. She didn't know any better. She didn't know any better. So she went every Sunday morning to the Baptist church and to the Lutheran church, and she asked the pastor, can I say something to your congregation? in all the denominational churches in the community and says, we are the only, the only Christian elementary school in your community. We'd love to have your kids. And they went from, um, from six kids to 26 kids to 80 kids in three years. And Julie, because she didn't know any better, um, went, and, and, went and, and talked in a Baptist church about the Adventist school. That's right. That's right. Um, I know we're beyond time. We manage by attrition. We don't manage strategically. Here are the tenures of, of uh, principals in our schools. Um, I have a number of models how we can deal with our enrollment. One model would be, is there a, is there a lower limit to the number of students that a boarding school can operate on? There is. I mean, you can't have 12 students and have a boarding school because you have to have deans and you have to have cafeteria and maintenance and six teachers by the time you get all the certifications. So there's a lower limit. If you decide what that lower limit is, say 50 students, my number, and, you, and the constituent says we can't operate lower than 50 students, the conference office says we can't put more than a million dollars in. That's the most we can put in. If the school operates within that, that range, everything's great. If for two years in a row they have less than that enrollment, now they know after one year that they've, so they're going to do all the recruiting they can. If two years in a row they fall under that enrollment or they have to go over that um, subsidy, it automatically... Um, calls for a constituency meeting to talk about the viability of the school. doesn't say you have to close it, but the constituency then votes to raise the limit of that million dollars, or the constituency says whatever, but it doesn't mean you're going to close, but it does mean that you're going to talk about it. Um, I wish we had time. I will stay by um, and answer any questions you have. But thank you very much for being here. Adventist education is worth it. Adventist education is worth it. And we talked yesterday about
the cost line and the value line and where the, they cross, there's no sales. We have to keep that value proposition, that perceived value up. That's our job. That's our job as parents and as pastors. I pick on pastors, not one here to pick on, but I always say it's 100% the pastor's responsibility. It's 100% all of our responsibility to do that. All right? Thank you very much. Let's uh, have a word of prayer as we, as we close. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us this educational system to train our children. May we be good stewards of that system. May we understand our role as conferences and unions and divisions to be um, managers of that system so that every one of our children may know Jesus. Help, those, help us to find ways to reach the other 70% that are not in our system and to give them what they need so that they may know you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.